Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and I'm about to make you an offer you can absolutely refuse, but I'd really rather you didn't, which is to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour or so with us discussing The Godfather, or a little film I like to call Francis Ford Coppola's Mario Puzo's The Godfather. Yes, indeed, it's the film that's not only celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, but it is doing so on the cover of Empire Magazine. Yes, that's right, folks. We have put a movie that's not a comic book film or a Star Wars on the cover of Empire Magazine. Shock horror. And it is The Godfather. Exciting stuff. And so we decided we would make a quick podcast discussing this seminal landmark movie. And to do so, I've got two seminal landmark colleagues of such lethal cunning with me. Nick DeSemlian. Whoever comes to you oh, with no. this Barzini meaning. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Whoever comes to you with this Barzini meaning. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Very pleased to be here. Hello, Nick. Are you surprised I didn't do this from the off? Look how they massacred my podcast. <laughs> Look what they did to my podcast. It's a terrible thing. I'm excited to be invited to this. I have uh, taken the precaution of uh, strapping a gun behind the loo, just in case. <laughs> Nick, I don't want you coming out of the toilet with you, just your dick in your hands. Yeah. That would be awful. <laughs> that would be terrible. Nobody wants and it. we're joined, of course, by our very own... I mean, he's, he's everything, isn't he? He's our Tom Hagen. He's our Sonny. He's our Luca Brassi. Uh, he's even our he's even our Tessio and Clemenza. He is, of course, the one, the only inferior. Thank you, Chris. I generally think I am the Mo Green. I'm a git with glasses, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> You're always hanging around at casinos. <laughs> yeah, and just and just living, being loose, and, and I deserve to be shot in the eye. Yeah, <laughs> Nick, what are you? Are you the Michael? Are you the Fredo? What 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 are you? I'm probably Fredo's Fredo. If Fredo were to have a Fredo, I'd be I'd be that guy. You're the thinking man's Fredo. Who am I? Um, I'm probably the cat, just sort of <laughs> hanging around, not doing much. Mm. I don't know. You tell me. Who are you, Chris? Who are you, Who Chris? Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously Don Corleone, and come on, Jesus, that's not that's not mess around here. I'm the Podfather. The Podfather. <laughs> the Podfather. <laughs> that took two minutes fifty five seconds to say that. <laughs> We can finish now. I know, we're, we're done. We're done. If you're doing a drinking game at home, then well done. Uh, anyway, so we decided we'd get together and we would chat about how ace this movie is. That, that's, that's it. It's that simple. <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're talking about how ace the Godfather is. Not the Godfather Part 2. Not the Godfather Part 3. Because it's not the 50th anniversary of those movies. We don't celebrate 48th anniversaries and 32nd anniversaries. Sorry, folks. But we're going to be focusing on the first movie. So... What is it about this film that means it endures still? I mean, it's everything, isn't it? I, there's not one area in which it's not incredible. It's The cast is incredible. The writing is pin sharp. The cinematography is amazing, obviously. Um, it's end- endlessly quotable. It's funnier than people remember as well, I think. Like, I think you think of The Godfather and you think of this sombre you know, very sort of downbeat, dark sort of 70s film, which it is, but it's also got a lot of comedy in it. But it was the biggest film of 1972 when it came out, and so I guess it was the Avengers Endgame of uh, yes. of that year. But um, <laughs> yes. it's incredible how fresh it feels still. You know, revisiting it for this issue, it doesn't feel dated in any way. It doesn't feel like a relic. Yeah, I, I just think it's so rich, isn't it? To me, it's the argument about why movies are better than TV, because this feels like a box set, but it's only 183 minutes long. There's so much in it. It's so it's as that kind of literary qualities, has cinematic qualities, and it's just so full of detail and nuance and texture. 
that you it's an absolutely satisfying meal. You can't, you know, you can't better it. I think if if Coppola had only made this, his status would be assured in, in cinema history. That he made the conversation and apocalypse now kind of help as well. But I think this this is an all timer. He he gets a pass for life on this. Yeah. He can make he can make as many jacks as he likes. I bring him no, on. No, 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 no. Sorry, he's gone. No, he's no. gone rogue. He, <laughs> he can make. He can make four jacks. He can make f- four jacks and two twixts. He can do. He can do whatever he wants to do. He, he. This is a pass for life. This film. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, genuinely. Whenever I uh, interviewed for Empire back in two thousand and one. Ian Freer was present at the second interview. You were you were kind of like the good cop, bad cop, insane cop. You would just throw me curveball questions that I wasn't prepared for remotely. And you you asked me, what was the film that got the Francis Ford Coppola made between The Godfather and Godfather Part Two? And I said the conversation. And then you then you went, all right, who was the sound editor? And that's where I fell apart. But uh, but now I know. Now yes. I know. Yeah. Th- th- this was my interview technique. Uh, no one could beat me on the conversation. I would be drilling down if, if people were <laughs> answering those questions. I'd be- <laughs> Drilling down into the, the, the who did the saxophone solo that he does at the end of the film. You know, I was going down to George Ord. Who, who is it? It's George Ord, who's a very famous saxophone player. He's mind me along to that. Amazing. That's a great technique. He'd hire you if he had the chance. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Um, man, what a yeah, film. The, God, the Godfather was too obvious. You, you'd hope yeah. that someone coming to a, an Empire interview would be up to speed on the job, on the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. But but that's yeah. uh, but right, my you, point. You, you'd never seen it, had you? Which one? The Godfather. The Godfather. No, no, I hadn't heard of it. Hadn't heard of it. It didn't have any superheroes in it. I wasn't interested. Uh, and in fact, I still haven't seen it. So I'm going to be bluffing my way through the next 45 minutes. But I understand it stars Al Pacino. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Yeah. Sorry, my it's mistake. Yeah. My mistake. <laughs> it's hard to see. Um, no, but but my point was that the conversation. That run, Godfather conversation, Godfather Part Two. That that's got to be up there. Apocalypse now. After but that. The, that run in three, that run in, in three. three years is oh, astonishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an astonishing run. So, and and Coppola elevates material, doesn't he, with this? His approach to this, the 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 richness of the world that he creates in this movie is a huge yeah. part of its appeal because. I've read the Mario Puzo novel. I'm sure you guys have as well. Yeah. It's it's a bit like Peter Benchley's Jaws, which is a pulpy airport novel yeah. that doesn't have any of the richness or magic, I would say. But you can see the potential there, but but he absolutely elevated that material. Uh, I, I just think Jaws is a really good analogy in that for Coppola and for Spielberg, these films were just jobs. And I think it's interesting that they've arguably made their best films out of things that were they were just guns for hire and that some of the personal projects never reach the heights of, of, of those movies. I think it's interesting when a filmmaker does his best work out of something that he's not perhaps overly invested in. And in, and in really hard conditions as well, because no one seemed to really believe in this when it was being made. I think you watch it and it feels so confident. You assume that everyone was like, yeah, this is working. But, um, you know, and, and Terry, Terry White's uh, great interview with Coppola in this issue like shows you like no one believed in him really and there was lots of talk of him being fired um people didn't want brando in it i think was was gene hatman one of the people that they considered for brando who, who were they after for for that for Vito's role i think uh, tons of people yeah. were, were up for it um and no, yeah nobody wanted him he he, he cast his sister and mm. so he, he was very under the gun for that. Mm. He cast his mates, Duval and James Kahn, who were, who'd bring in the rain people. So these are not big names, are they? They're not 
mm. who you'd immediately think of. And so he was always under the gun on this film. But I think the other interesting thing of it is that if you've ever seen the films he made before it, mm-hmm. if you see he made um, Dementia 13 for Corman, which is a horror film where the corpse actually blinks. He made, he made uh, you're a big <laughs> Del- boy Deliberately now. or accidentally? No, no. <laughs> it sounds quite you're scary. A, yeah. You're a big boy now, which is this kind of freewheeling sex comedy. He made Finian's Rainbow, which is a musical with Fred Astaire, where the aspect ratio meant they cut off Fred Astaire's feet. So the thing that you love about Fred Astaire, you can't see. And, the, the, and I, I, just to think that you could never believe that if you saw those early works, you made The Rain People, which is very good. But even that, you can't believe that he had The Godfather in him. Mm. I think of someone like Curtis Hansen, that when you see Curtis Hansen's work pre LA Confidential, you can never think he's got that in him. Mm. So I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yes, yeah, so where that comes from. Is a is a big question. Where, like, you know, was it a just a connection to material that he felt more infested in this one personally, given that it was about an Italian American family? Or yeah, I think that's it's absolutely that. It's that that texture that he can bring to it. And some of the other directors, P.T. Yates was attached at one point. I think uh, Costa Gavras was attached, and they can't bring what he brings, which is this intimate knowledge and the sensuality of uh, Italian American life, which is why. I think ultimately people love it. People love the gangster elements, mm. but I think it's a film about brothers, isn't it? Brothers and dads. Yeah, you can strip away all of that stuff, yeah. really. I mean, it's all done brilliantly, but you can strip it away and it would still be a great film. You know, Succession doesn't have any of that, but it's you know it's very much the same dynamic of just this brilliant, the, the weird warped relationships in this family, and they're so beautifully kind of drawn in that. Yeah, also it has the film that has the bollocks to start with the 20-minute wedding sequence. That where just the, the, that draws you into the world, draws you into the rules of the world, uh, and it's still it's still an interesting spectacle. That and uh, Deer Hunter, I think Deer Hunter is even even longer. It's even longer. It's even longer. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. were trying to outdo each other in the seventies with their weddings, yeah. <laughs> wedding lengths. Um, but yeah, it's a very slow start. I, I'd love that opening that you're out in the the, the sunshine with the, all these people, and then you go into. Vito's sort of chamber and it's almost like this crypt with almost no light going in and he's sitting there in the dark like some kind of vampire and people are coming to him and it's it's great it's like he's like a movie monster almost that opening I mean that wouldn't pass the Netflix algorithm challenge but it's I mean <laughs> where you know apparently allegedly something exciting has to happen in the first two minutes to to grab your attention otherwise people will flick on uh it's an undertaker talking about how he believes in america in the dark <laughs> and and, uh, and but it grabs you doesn't it i mean that 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 opening monologue from from bonacera is absolutely terrific i believe in america is one of the great lines uh in in modern cinema and i i read someone recently on twitter who absolutely nailed it which is you know the the one of the glories of this movie is you know it starts off with the character saying i believe in america and then over the next three hours goes to underline everything that's gone wrong about the american dream that that you know this family can can build an empire based on blood and the the way the american dream has gone turned into turned into an american nightmare (laughs) but it's all there in that opening it's tremendous There's, some, there's some lots of lovely details in that scene as well. Do you remember where the, the feds are, are taking um, license plates numbers down mm. from all the cars parked outside and they, they get shooed away by, <laughs> by the henchmen? And mm. just, just the, the, the warmth of the, the wedding juxtaposed mm. with what's going on inside yeah. is astonishing. 
Yeah, just as little snapshots, and you get to meet all the characters, and you get you, you get little glimpses of them, even yeah. down to supporting characters like Johnny Fontaine. You, you know, so you get to yeah. see you get to see them. You get to, to see what they mean in the in the context of the, of the Dawn's uh, life in the Dawn's world. You get to get meet Sonny, and you get to see how combustible Sonny is uh, early on, whether he's you know banging a bridesmaid or whether he is yeah. you know threatening the, the 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 feds and the and the cops. And then of course you get to meet Michael. The Godfather obviously refers to Michael as well as it does Fito. Um, and you get to see his trajectory laid out right there in the beginning. You know, that's my father, Kay. That's not me. Yeah. Right from the off. And then he does, but but that's a genius. There are some certain TV shows that take six seasons to have a man, <laughs> to have a man go from being good to being bad. Whereas... He, br- he breaks, but yeah, it's breaking bad in like... <laughs> Under 83 minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> not the disc breaking bad, of course, if that's no. the show you were thinking of. No, uh, who, yeah. no, no. just a show. Just a show. Just, uh, just a any, random show. Yeah, just okay. the kind of show that might exist. All right, okay. Vito does not... Vito would not be into meth. I think he'd shut, <laughs> he'd shut that down. He wouldn't be in an RV. <laughs> no, he... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking bad. Um, that, would be, that would be terrible. Uh, yeah. But it's all there, rightfully off, and and you have in very very short order. You're introduced to people who, whenever I saw the movie for the first time, and I don't know Ian when you saw the movie for the first time, but you know, I grew up with this on TV. I grew up with my parents watching it. I grew up, um, you know, I remember the time that they showed the 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 entire saga on BBC Two in yeah. chronological order, where Coppola had cut uh, Godfather yeah. One and Godfather Two into chronological order. So it starts it starts with the funeral in Corleone. So it starts with that. But I rem- I just remember watching it as a kid, probably far too young to watch this movie, but being mesmerized. Yes, mesmerized by things like the flashes of violence and the, you know, the 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 rare bits of sex and and the uh, yeah. and and just the, just a sense that you're you're getting a a, a vision a, a glimpse into this really really impossibly glamorous violent world. And that all mesmerized me as a kid, but also the fact that, you know, there's so many people who I knew who were household names already in this movie, but as as youngsters, as whippersnappers, yeah, and you've mentioned it already. But Al Pacino and Robert Duvall and James Caan and Talia Shire all in this movie, and they're all Diane Keaton. You know, they're, and they're all terrific. Is this yeah. the best cast movie of all time? I'm going to say yes, but I think there's a weak link. Who do you think the weak link is? Mm. Is it one of the biggies? Uh, second tier. Ooh, interesting. Was it the cat? Uh, yes, it's a cat. No, I, 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 I think that storyline. I think Carlo does that doesn't sell it for me. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, he's Gianni Russo is an actor. I don't know. I only yep. know him from from that. I think I think he sells it pretty well at the end in that scene with with Michael, where Michael sits down and you know basically gets yeah. him to confess that he 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 did betray them to to Barsini. And then he gets killed afterwards, you know, and this sort of, you know, that begins the kind of the night of the long knives in, in a way, doesn't it? But yeah, um, but maybe it maybe yeah. it's him and him and Talia Shear are kind of amping up the in their their arguments feel very over the top in a film that is mostly it's quite sl- stately and dialed yeah. down and yeah, I know what you mean. But look, across the board, it's brilliant. How great is Robert Duvall in that film? How how brilliant is 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 James Caan? Just just astonishing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild to me. Obviously, they went on to be big stars, but it's wild to me that James Caan didn't become a bigger star after that. And, you know, he may not have made the best choices post Godfather in <laughs> in certain ways. Some great choices, but also some iffy choices. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it's it's incredible to me because he he's got such fatality and such rage, and he's he's mesmerizing to use that word again. When he's on screen, you can't tear your eyes off him. When he's beating the shit out of Carlo in the street, mm. he's terrific. Yeah. And of course, he is he is the subject of one of the great death scenes in mm. movie history: the glorious, over the top toll booth massacre of yeah. one man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we speak to him about that in the issue, don't they? Can, we, can you remember what he said about that? He just said end of tweet and then stopped talking. <laughs> he just said end of article, which is his famous tweet sign off. Uh, he just talks all about that death scene and how many squid, like it was crazy the amount of squibs that they wired him up with. And uh, yeah, it sounds like it was all done a bit on the fly and he wasn't quite prepared for how, <laughs> I mean, it's extremely bloody. It's like one of the bloodiest, because it's not that bloody a film in my memory. Maybe it is. I don't know. The garroting is horrible. I mean, when, when it's violent, it's, it's yeah. sticks in your brain. It's the horse's head, isn't it? That's what you think of. Yeah, the horse's that, head. Yeah. yeah, you get to see you get to see Luca Brasi's face turn blue as he's being strangled, but and you get you get little memorable things. So like when Carlo gets garroted in the front seat, you know he kicks out the windshield. Yeah, and that's really really memorable. Mm. But yeah. it's mm. not a film that's dripping in blood necessarily. Oh, Mo Green shot through the eye. Yeah, is a cracking gag. But that's. Pretty much all in the, a lot of it is in the baptism at the end, the baptism yeah. montage at the end. And before yeah. that, there's not a lot of of bloodshed, is there? Apollina gets blown up. Um, we don't see the horse's head getting cut off. It's, I'm glad it's we don't a, see the horse's yeah. head being cut off. Poor horses. They're always having a hard time. You know, the Sopranos, this, you know, leave horses alone, gangsters. Yeah. I, I wonder about the logistics of that. Like, who cut the horse's head off? Because Tom is not going to yeah. do it himself. He, he's left by that point. Yeah. But presumably then, who is it? Is it just a couple of goons? Uh, Joey Chainsaw. <laughs> <That sounds, laughs> he's, he's the best horse killer on the east side. Yeah. <laughs> can only leave the horse's head. That's, yeah. And they yeah. always have to be given these very explicit instructions, yeah. otherwise they'll forget. Yeah. Then, then you've got to get it up. You've got to get it to the house. You've got to get it up the stairs. You've got to get open. The, got to get, get the bed open, put it into that the bed. That guy's a very deep sleeper. I envy that guy's uh, <laughs> yeah. ability to sleep through a horse's head being brought into your room by Joey. Joey Chainsaw and stuck under your duvet. But I mean, that's an incredible, I mean, that, that just, that scene shows you the film is not going to fuck about. It's, it's, yeah, it's hardcore yeah. and crazy. And it shows you that the Don doesn't fuck about. Doesn't it? That's the first, we get a lot of whispering in rooms before that. And that, but that's the first exorcist, sort of him exercising his weight, isn't it? And his power. It's yeah. very creative. I'm not endorsing it, yeah. but it's a, it's a creative bit of, uh, bit of bloodletting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And it, it, again, it's one of those things when I saw it, it's a bit like when I first, first saw Alien, I knew about the Jessburster scene because these things were just passed into hmm. into screen infamy. And so when you when you watch The Godfather as a, as a kid, you know about the horse's head scene. You know about Sonny being massacred. You, you, know, there's, you know about, I think I knew about the Don collapsing at the end because that's quite a famous death scene. Again, you know, where he's yeah. chasing this little, and then he collapses. Yeah. So I knew all that stuff, but then yeah. everything in between... Was, was fresh to me and was new to me. Mm. That's another, uh, you know, that's an, another example of, you know, the I Believe in America and it shows you how this this crime family has got their tentacles into everything, you know, politics, um, mm -hmm. more so in the second film and, and um, you know, Hollywood, they're kind of controlling everything. Yeah. And Coppola oftentimes brings it back to the church as well. It's family, it's church and it's business all wrapped up into this kind of rich mm. kind of meal. Mm. Would you say church? I mean, we're not talking two and three here, but church is so politics is is the the sort of setting of of two, 
and religion and the, the church and the Vatican is this, is the backdrop of, of three specifically. Yeah, so maybe it's about big business and corporation, about how – I'm, I'm, I'm not a gangster movie expert, but I think it's one of the films, one of the first films to make that link between crime families and big business and what that means. Mm. You got the you got the christening, you know. That's that's kind of important that that's happening at the same time as the the hits at the end of the film. It shows how how far Michael has descended in a very very short space of time, and how much he can detach himself from what's going on. You know what he, he's ordered that he's able to just be completely. Mm. He's losing his soul, isn't he? Very much so. Is Pacino the standout of the movie for you? We've talked about Khan's combustibility. You know, Bobby Duvall, as he likes me to call him, is terrific as Tom Hagen, so much so that, you know, his absence in Godfather 3 is one of the big things that torpedoes that movie. Not that that movie's terrible. It's not terrible. It's just compared to two of the greatest films of all time. Oh. Uh, but his his absence is a huge, huge blow from which I don't think it entirely recovers. But is is Pacino, obviously Brando, but is Pacino really the heart of the movie and the, 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 the soul of the movie? We haven't even mentioned John Casale, but... Is it Pacino for you, for you guys? For, for me, it's Pacino because, you know, everyone else is brilliant, but they don't have much in the way of an arc, whereas Pacino has to do the, you know, like Ian said, Breaking Bad in 180 whatever minutes, and he has to do, he has to <laughs> okay. radically transform. And I think that the, the crux of it is that scene in the diner where he's got to, you know, kill the two guys. And the acting in that scene is astonishing. The eye acting, that when Pacino's just sitting there and it's just got that big close-up of him and the other people are talking off screen and he's, his eyes are just darting around. It's just amazing. That's like some of the best acting you'll ever see anywhere. And hats off to the sound design in that scene. Yeah. With the train going by and the building up and it's cut, cutting into Pacino. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And then he does this brutal, horrible thing. And then, you know, then you have the whole Italy stretch where it's like a romance. I mean, it's incredible. He's, there's so much to that character. And you're kind of with him despite everything until, until I guess you're not. Mm. Yeah. The moment where he, where he lies to Kay about whether he killed Carlo or not, that's astonishing. That's mm. so powerful. Mm. So yeah. great. The door closing. Yeah. I mean, this film's got an iconic opening 30 seconds and an iconic closing 30 seconds. I don't think there are many yeah. films that do that. <laughs> and the 180 minutes in between is pretty okay. iconic. They're okay. <laughs> They're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is terrific. I always think Michael tips his hand a little bit too much in that scene with, with uh, Salotto and Mikulowski that I'd be, if I were, if yeah, Salotto in particular is like, there's something about this guy, which is why, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't frisked before he goes off to the toilet. But who am I to give Al Pacino acting tips? Uh, what about Brando? We haven't talked about Brando that much. Uh, this 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 performance that is so legendary that it is so open to parody. And I would say that you know everyone's got a Brando impression in them. And when they do a Brando impression, they don't do a Brando impression. They do a Brando as a Godfather impression. I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. <laughs> Um, he's, I mean, he's ama- He's amazing. I mean, it's a long shadow and I think, you know, too as amazing and brilliant and, you know, many people regard it as even better than the first one. But the second film, I think really, you really f- miss, miss Vito. Um, that death scene for me is the, is the scene, um, that oh. again, like he makes you laugh. He does the goofy thing with the orange in his mouth with the fangs yeah. and then he dies and you're upset and you're like, why am I upset? This guy is like a monster. Yeah, it's always stuck with me that the kid keeps on spurting water over him when he's dead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's like, he's, killed, he's watering the plants, isn't he? And, he's, and he still keeps on doing it. What a bastard. What a bastard. <laughs> heartless. Absolutely heartless. Uh, do you think Fido would have been 
How do you think Fido would have, because he never really sticks around to see how ruthless and heartless Michael becomes. There's a sense that the Don, even though he's an awful human being, who, and especially we see in, in part two, you know, isn't afraid to get his hands dirty himself. I mean, he builds his empire on murders that he commits himself. But it's also a sense that he's someone who is, he has got a little bit of a moral code. He doesn't want to get involved in drugs. But absolutely. But also within, especially in part two, it's about family and duty and about the neighborhood. He's mm-hmm. standing up for the neighborhood a lot against the uh, against Finucci. And I think there is that sense that there is a moral fiber there that that Michael doesn't have. Or that you can't see in Michael that you can see in that you can see in or, or, or Sonny, I guess. And and I mean I d yeah, there's so many great shades to that performance and I think you feel like he's disappointed in his sons to some extent as a called melancholy, you know, as he sees the next generation maybe not living up to what he wants them to be. Or maybe I'm just imagining that. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and and you know, we could we could argue about it. he's just a bad parent. That perhaps he's just too preoccupied with building his empire to really parent correctly and responsibly. I mean, look who he turned. Look who he turns out. You know, Sonny's a psychopath. Um, Fredo's a fuck up. Connie's all right, but you know, you know, even she's got you know her her sharp edges in in Godfather Part Three. But she turns out. But she's still a bit of a fuck up as well. She becomes an alcoholic. You know, she has, has a loss period, justifiably so, because her brother killed her husband. But <laughs> Michael is the worst of the lot because he is an ice blooded, soulless, cold hearted yeah. sociopath yeah. who uses family as an excuse. His bit, it is Walter White, isn't it? He uses family as an excuse for his pursuit of power and for everything that comes with that. And I, I <laughs> it's a strange, strange little detour list, but I think the Vito, I think, would be appalled by what Michael becomes. He will, he will close the door on anyone. Like, you're going into a room and Michael Corleone will just pop up and go, no, <laughs> door closed. And you'll be like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Terrible man. There is the other son, Colin Corleone, who's just too boring. <laughs> just Colin, boring. he's an accountant. <laughs> yeah, he just like, didn't get any screen time. Just not, not worth not problem. He's very well adjusted, just lives in a nice <laughs> yeah. little house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tom Hagen, I sense, I, I've always had the sense that yeah. is a more decent, rounded human being. But there's also a moment... In the movie, you get the sense that he is someone who's trying to pull away a little bit from the from violence. And there's this this idea that runs through all three movies of legitimacy and of taking the Corleone family business away from crime. And you get the sense in part two that it is absolutely a facade that Michael has no interest in that sort of stuff. But you get the sense in part three that he does. He wants absolution. He wants to atone for the sins of the past. And so he is serious about going straight and about dragging the, the Corleones out of it. But in a way, that kind of starts with with Fito here. You know, he's he's a crime boss who's embroiled in a war with other crime bosses. Oh. But if you look at his react, if you look at his reaction whenever Sonny is killed, you know that heartbreaking scene with Tom where he finds out and you know he calls Bonacera and you know and then he goes down and look how they massacred my boy and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and the the Sturmund Drang reaction that you're expecting doesn't come. He doesn't want a war. He wants to step away from that, and he, you know, he actually chooses reconciliation as the as the path. And Michael is the scorched earth guy. Michael is the guy who is you fuck with me, you fuck with my family, and I will absolutely, I will, I will repay you ten times what you have repaid to my family. He's very Old Testament in that sense. Yeah. No, I, for me, for me, yeah, 
Pacino is the the MVP. I mean, he's he's unmatchable. But but um, Duval is Tom Hagen. It's interesting. He's like one of the least flashy performances and characters mm. but i find him fascinating like i want to know if we were going to get like a book of boba fett type spin-off tv show i'd like to see tom hagen's story of how he ended up there and what his deal is because he feels too kind of there's a kindness to him and a kind of warmth to him and uh and uh intelligence and and it's just odd to have him in that company why but is he the, there the, the book of boba fett is interesting there's a scene in the godfather where they uh, they bring the, the heads of the five families together to talk about how they're going to deal with, with drugs. And there's a very similar scene in, in Boba Fett where they bring, <laughs> they bring together the syndicates to talk about how they're going to divide up the, the, the Mos Espa or whatever. And one is a version of how you do that scene, mm. and the other one isn't. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The, God, the Godfather needed more alien frogs, frankly. <laughs> yeah, the Dawn was lacking a rancor. <laughs> Uh, you come to me and I give you my rancor. That's, my what, well, that's, what, that's what I thought that show was going to be. I thought it was going to be The Godfather in Mos Espa. They kind of build it, they kind of build it as that. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's The Godfather Part 3 in Espa in Mos Eisley. That's what it is. Is it Mos Eisley or Mos Espa? I'm confused by where it is. I think so, in Mos yeah. Espa, I think. Mos Espa, okay. Yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, uh, I guess Luca Brasi is the, the Corleone family rancor and he gets, he gets bumped off uh, early on. In a really horrible way. That's not a good way to go. You don't want that. Yeah. You don't want to be stabbed through the hand and then strangled to death. That's that's not good. That perhaps leads me to my next my next question for you guys, which is: it's a movie of famous moments. So, what are the, what are the the moments that really stand out for you? That's that's. I think we we covered some of them. I think mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the death scene is the one. Uh, Brando's death scene always stands out for me. Mm -hmm. Pacino telling Kay that he he didn't have Carlo killed. But that's 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 its richness, isn't it? Every scene is is great. Every every there's not a duff there's not a duff moment in it. But I would I would also throw in things like the assassination attempt on the Don. Yeah, where he spills over the the cart of of oranges, uh, <laughs> which if you haven't if you haven't figured out by now in The Godfather, orange orange symbols symbolizes death. Uh, so if you see a character wearing orange or eating an orange or dressed as an orange, then chances are I'm it's not going to go orange. well. I am wearing orange today. If if you just just in, in, in <laughs> was that trivia. deliberate? Of course, yeah. Oh, in <laughs> not one of us is going to die. Accidental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a bit nervous. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, uh, Nick, we have to change your bed in the hospital. We have to move you about a bit. <laughs> and that sequence is great as well, where he, it's the baker, isn't it? The, the sort of Corleone family baker or someone who's slightly indebted to uh, to the Don, who just turns up at the hospital and then, you know, they realise that, you know, goons are on the way to kill the Don. And yeah. so Michael and this guy have to move Michael's dad from room to room and then stand outside the hospital and look like they're muscle. Yeah. And he's trying to light his cigarette and he can't, he can't, he's too nervous, <laughs> yeah. his hands are shaking. That's a terrific yeah. moment. Really it's, tense. It's not quite as good as the moment in that Steven Seagal film where he gets attacked in hospital and has to go around in a wheelchair <laughs> doing kung fu on people from the wheelchair. But it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the, the kind of the newspaper headlines that are generated after it, those kind of, that newspaper style, I think is shot by George Lucas. Really? Who kind of, um, Revenge of the Sith kind of has a big major Godfather rift, doesn't it? In terms of the the five families being killed off, is basically Order sixty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Order sixty six takes that uh, that sequence and improves upon it. That's what <laughs> I think you're trying to say. Again, the Godfather needed more yeah. alien frogs. Yeah, <laughs> and all all, the, all that stuff with Apollina is is lovely. The kind of the, the courtship of it and the romance of it, mm. and that sense of him 
that maybe he'll find his mm. a new life. Maybe he'll find something different in his life. And then it's taken away from him. Yeah, you can't yeah, have yeah. an arc downwards unless you give those moments of hope, which Breaking Bad does well as well, where there's little moments where you think, oh, okay, he has a chance to get into the light and get away from all that. And mm. and then it goes wrong and makes him even more kind of evil. But it's, yeah, that whole section is brilliantly done. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's something interesting as well, because obviously Michael has, a, has his jaw broken at a, at a certain point in the movie. And there's a you know, slight difference in Pacino and how Pacino looks before that then and after that. But that almost symbolizes the the, the, the different Michael that comes back. You know, oh. it's it's a it's a physical representation of what's going on inside. The minute he sees Apollonia blown up by that uh, by that car bomb. Leave the gun, take the cannoli, a line that mm-hmm. has been repeated many times in our virtual office over the last month. But um I haven't actually had a cannoli. I don't think I've ever had a cannoli. But again, it's just like one of those little great moments that, that you didn't need in that script. You know, the scene is functional. There's a, someone being killed and you've got these two button men, hit men. Um, but it's just that lovely little detail kind of humanizes them. And it's this little sort of funny moment after a very dark scene. But again, it's that just total mastery of the tone. Yeah. And Coppola's genius at that. When when Sonny comes into the kitchen before he, before he learns of his father's, been, his father's death, I think, he, he just gets a little bit of bread and takes some of the smart sauce from the pot. And that's something you can only know that if you know that's what Italians do. That's, that's, you can only get that kind of richness if you've lived the life of it, I think. And this is, it's a clear sort of indication of why he was such a great choice for the job. Mm. Mm. And we haven't really talked about John Cazale as Fredo, who is arguably, you know, he's way, he's definitely right up there with the best, the best performances in this film. He's incredible. Um, but that moment after Vito is gunned down and Fredo is there kind of weeping and you see all his kind of weakness and his, so, he does so much Kazali with, you know, minimal dialogue really, but he's, he's genius in the film. You're a Kazali stan, aren't you in? I am. Yeah. I remember uh, James Dyer going on about this amazing fact he had in the free fact structure, this amazing fact that he took ages to get around to it. And the moment he said it, I thought, He's going to talk about it. he was all his films have been nominated for Best Picture, and he took about ten minutes to get there. Do, 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 do you remember that? Uh, yeah, that's very that's very James. That's what his that's a signature move. He didn't even mention the fact that he was was he married to Meryl Streep or engaged to Meryl Streep? Engaged to Meryl Streep, yeah. yeah engaged to Meryl Streep. And he didn't. Even yeah. mention, that's a much more interesting fact than <laughs> it is. We could do it much quicker. We could do it much quicker here right yeah. now. John Cazale made five films. Five films in his life. Those five films were The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. You could do it quickly like that, or you could go and track down the latest issue of Empire Magazine, in which Adam Smith writes brilliantly about John Cazale over six pages. It's one of the best articles in the issue and is incredible. And I highly recommend you do that. Yes, which is somewhere in between the, the James version and our version <laughs> of it as well. But yeah, Casale, he died in 1978 and he was only 43, I think, 42, 43. Wow, wow, what an impact. Yeah. What an impact. I mean, that is, I think, a, a run unparalleled in, in modern cinema. Uh, but there's, the, again, there's so much to talk about this movie. Talking about things we haven't even mentioned, we haven't even mentioned... Gordon Willis, the Prince of Darkness himself, the amazing cinematographer whose, you know, whose whose facility with lighting and shadow and contrast is one of the big appeals of this movie. We haven't even mentioned Nino Rota, 
who wrote the music, uh, which is just one of the most iconic scores of all time. We haven't even mentioned that the filming of Liss was so riven with drama that, you know, they've, they're making not one but two <laughs> TV shows and films about the making of The Godfather. There's so much going on in and around this movie. Yeah, I, I think Gordon Willis is that's such, it flies in the face of what conventional Hollywood cinematography was at the time and absolutely changed the game. If you've never seen The Godfather and you're watching it on TV, don't watch it on a Sunday afternoon where it's sunshine because you'll never see anything of it. It's so, the screen will be so dark. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw it, the first time I saw it in the cinema, I was about 13, 14. It showed at the Everyman in Hampstead. And you really get the sense of, of how, how beautiful it is if you see it on a big mm. screen. If you, can see, if you can try and see it for the first time on a big screen, do I think there's some screenings mm. coming up now, aren't there, around for the yeah. anniversary. I've so never just, seen it on the big screen. Try, so that's something to do. Mm. Gordon Willis, uh, incidentally, also shot uh, 80s Tom Hanks comedy, The Money, Money Pit. He did. Arguably, arguably better than The Godfather. <laughs> this is true magnum opus. Because he found the light switch. He found the light switch. So yeah. yes, he found the light switch. <laughs> yeah, they're both about people trying to uh, maintain control and make sense of the world around them as it collapses. In Hanks's case, that's literal. Huh? The Godfather would have been improved, I would say, with a collapsing staircase, with a comedy scene where their house starts falling apart. Yeah, with a bit where where if Michael had been standing on a rug and then the rug slowly f- fell into a hole in the floor and then he got trapped up to his arms. And Tom Hagen's yeah. got a yeah. Tom Hagen has yeah. to drill some nails in. I mean, it's just instant comedy. <laughs> it's yeah. instant comedy. It's right there. This is why I don't do these podcasts. <laughs> Should we talk about influential it is and what it's inspired? What it's like um, inspired or been riffed on? I mean, the Money Pit. We've established that, and Indeed. that's it. That's all you don't need to inspire it. anything else. After, <laughs> after that. Once you've inspired the money pit, then you're then you're fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it inspired just two years later, uh, Godfather Part Two, which plays with very similar themes. Uh, but it's 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 the it's the it's the patient zero of of modern mob movies, isn't it? Everything that comes after that either owes a debt to the Godfather or is trying to not do what The Godfather does, whether it's mm. Scorsese's movies or something like a Donny Brasco or The Sopranos. I mean, Sopranos you know, literally has a scene where they all sit in the, the, the back room at the Bada Bing and watch Godfather on VHS. <laughs> because that happened in real life, which is that these guys, the mafia guys, idolized this world because they looked at it as a, a sort of glorification of their lifestyle. They saw themselves as the good guys, as the heroes of this. Which is something that Scorsese, I think, in particular, was very, very keen not to do, but they misread it anyway. That's that's what tends to happen, you know. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge anyone for misinterpreting this in case anyone cuts a horse's head off and puts it in my bed. You 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 do you, as they say. <laughs> Correction: the Soprano in the Sopranos, they watched The Godfather Part Two. I guess they couldn't find they couldn't find the VHS for the first one. But I also think it's it's become a byword for kind of masculinity and being a man, isn't it? I'm thinking of Sleepless in Seattle, where women mm-hmm. watch. Uh, and fair to remember, and men endlessly quote the Godfather. It's a way that men can relate to each other is by quoting the Godfather. It's it's taken that on that status, isn't it? It's kind of a, a thing that men can talk about and be emotional about and share about. It's a bit like supporting Liverpool, like that. You know, you can, it's you very can... much like that. Yes, <laughs> uh, but of course, it does. It you know, we are three men talking about the Godfather. We we should say Terry White 
we was going to be part of this podcast, but uh, had a schedule clash uh, and we had to record it. So we uh, we went ahead without Terry. But uh, Terry idolizes this movie. She loves this movie, and obviously she did the interview with Francis Ford Coppola for the oh. for the magazine. So uh, it's I don't think it's quite as as um, simple that, as that. I'm not yeah. saying women don't get it, but it, it's big yeah. that it has that place that idea of that in the culture that it is somehow. Yeah. Whether that's obviously that's not true, but it has. Lunkheads like us can can gather around it. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Like that scene with Tom Hanks again. Tom Hanks uh, and Rob Reiner walking down the street in Sleepless in Seattle. I think they quote, "Take the gun, leave the cannoli." No, it's the other way around. I always get that wrong. (laughs) Never leave the cannoli. I I was thinking of Tom Hanks in "You've Got Mail," and he's she's and he's talking about going to the mattresses and all that kind of thing. Yes, he's absolutely quoting it. Yeah, I, I say going to the mattresses quite a lot. Actually, as well, but Do I'm always uh, yeah, I'm always going to dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I'm always going to I'm always going to Benson for beds. Love it, great stuff. Trying to find the right mattress. Uh, yeah. Anything else we you know, before we before we wrap this bad boy up in uh, newspaper and then send it to the Don? It's quite, it's kind of interesting about how it's kind of the anti Goodfellas in a way, isn't it? In that Goodfellas is very splashy, formally mm. energetic filmmaking. And The Godfather isn't, isn't it? It's very slightly, the compositions, it's mostly mid-shot, long shots, letting the actors play it out in, mm-hmm. in long takes. It's not a particularly flashy movie, is it? Yeah, I guess the flashiest bit of filmmaking is that uh, cross-cutting at the end, yeah, isn't it? The Between, montage, yeah, yeah, before that, it's quite... I guess Henry Hill is quite a flashy guy, though, isn't it? Like, it's kind of yeah. his energy being reflected in the filmmaking, whereas, like, Michael is very kind of still. Yeah. And hunched and shoulders. and Hunched over and, yeah. I mean, no one seems to be enjoying themselves in The Godfather. You don't get a sense that, you know, they're loving all this money they're making and, you know, they don't ever seem to be enjoying it. The Goodfellas has splashes of that, but, um, yeah. yeah, The Godfather makes it look like a pretty miserable existence, mm. apart from when you're at a wedding, when it's quite fun, you can have a dance. You're right. Those wide shots at the wedding, you know, so you have, you know, so much, it's a sense of life and vitality and everything's going on. You watch the supporting actors and the background artists to see what they're up to. Uh, you know, in terms of the stately static shots, the, you know, the, the, the long shot of Sonny driving up to the toll booth, for yeah. example. Um, yeah. the, 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 the way he holds the camera on, uh, on Sonny again, prefacing that by beating the shit out of Carlo in the street. But that is a static shot as well. There's, lo- there's lots of, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't draw attention to himself. Um, that's that's kind of Willis. partly why it feels so mythic. I think because of that stillness, it feels operatic. It, it's not, you know, right. The camera is not right up there with the characters. It's kind of zoomed out and mm. just these beautiful, rich tableau um, that you can really savor. We should mention the music one more time. I mean, Ian, you're a big music guy. Yeah, I mean, the music's um, uh, you know Rotter, who's who's kind of famously Fellini's guy, who does very kind of uh rambunctious uh off, often rambunctious themes here yeah, that 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 kind of theme is just beautiful isn't it that mm-hmm. it's quite a melancholy uh, theme isn't it it's got quite a sad yeah the, the, the trumpet yeah there's a kind of mournful trumpet at the start mm. of it and then it goes into something very uh, just beautiful and mm. again perhaps the opposite of how you'd feel a, a gangster movie theme would be yeah and there's so many great themes uh that run all the way through the film yeah there are uh couple his father Carmine, he yeah. was the conductor, wasn't he? Yeah, he's the conductor, and I think I think there's a number of composers on it. I don't think it's just it's not completely Nina wrote a score. I think I think a couple of composed things for it. Um, 
a brilliant work, a terrific work. On that note, I think that's pretty much it. We could obviously talk about The Godfather for hours, but time is against us. Uh, but we will say that if you want to read about The Godfather for hours, then you can pick up the new issue of Empire Magazine. It's on sale right now. It has The Godfather on the cover. Celebrating 50 years, there's an amazing interview with Francis Ford Coppola inside. We also have interviews with James Kahn. Who else? No, Robert Duvall. Talia, Sh- Talia Shire. Oh, Talia Shire. We talked to uh, people about Brando's performance and how he created Corleone all the way through, through mm-hmm. makeup and everything. Some great stories on that. Uh, like I said, Adam Smith on John Cazale is amazing. And yeah, it's just chock full of mafioso goodness. Chock full of mafioso goodness. And that's available right now on all good, evil and virtual news agents. So do pick that up on sale right now. Uh, and on that note, all that remains is for me to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning Francis Ford Freer is his squadcast name, but in real life, you will know him as Ian Freer. Goodbye. I believe in the Empire podcast. I'm glad someone does, Ian. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad someone does. Uh, it is goodbye from Fredo the Chocolate Frog. Just 10p will get you time with Nick Dissemblian. Is it too late to refuse your offer, to be honest? <laughs> it's far too Come late. On, I, missed it. I can cut you out. I can, <laughs> I can cut you out. I'm going to put it in chronological order. I'm going to put all your stuff at the beginning. <laughs> And then everything Ian says, and then everything I say. Let's do that. See how it works. (laughs) I'll be played by George Hamilton in that version. (laughs) I love the George Hamilton. I love that they cast George Hamilton in that, but oh, come on. Come on. He's no Bobby DeFalle, is he? Uh, Although he was in Columbo, and uh, and Robert DeFalle was not. So. One nil to Hamilton. Uh, Anyways, goodbye from me, Agent Orange. I'm off to. Let's see if I get this right. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. I get that wrong every single time. I cannot believe I got that right. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Look what they did to my podcast. Look how they massacred my podcast.